The conversation continues right now now, now, with Dominique DePrima on First Things First. And it's time to uh, meet one of the folks who would like to be a judge on the L.A. County Superior Court, seat number 124. This is part of our uh, election information station campaign. You can find all of these interviews and conversations on our website, kbla1580.com. Actually, um, Molly Bell texted me yesterday to ask when we were going to go over all the judges that we've met so far. We will be doing that Friday in the final hour of the show with attorney Carrie Harper, um, as it has become somewhat of a tradition around here. So our, um, our guest right now was born and raised in the San Fernando Valley. She's a career public servant. She went to Oberlin College. She volunteered at the Jails Project of the ACLU of Southern California, um, and she's done quite a bit of volunteer work over the course of her career. Even before she became a lawyer, um, she's president uh, of the Pasadena women's rugby team. <laughs> and uh, she uh, she is, um, she got a public service award right when she graduated from law school, eventually started working at the Children's Law Center um, in Los Angeles representing children. Um, worked in dependency court um, and became, uh, transitioned to representing indigent criminal defendants at the L.A. Public Defender's Office. Um, Kim Ropeka, welcome. Thank you for having me. So the, the standard question, um, kind of cheesy, but important. Why do you want to be a judge? So I've thought about wanting to be a judge for, for some years, even before I was eligible. And I think that's really just a function of appearing in front of judges all the time. And you see what impact a good judge can have and what impact a bad judge can have and how it really can change people's lives in such a a big way and in a way that the public really doesn't see. Uh, But why I was motivated to run in this particular election cycle was because there's a sitting judge who has not really been doing her job and nobody else stepped up to challenge her. So I could I could easily see that someone that has even more experience than me. I I think I have a lot of experience for my 11 plus years, but there are certainly people that have even more experience. But I was the only one that stepped up to challenge this particular um, judge. Challenging a sitting judge is is more than a notion, right? Um, It's hard enough to become a judge at all. Raising money, people don't know who you are. You can't say if you're a Democrat or a Republican. There's all these restrictions. But when you're going up against someone who's already on the bench, that's tough. So this must be important to you. It is. Um, honestly, I, I sort of regard it as a, as a moral imperative. Um, I, I read that admonishment. It was a, so I, I guess I should give a little background on that. Uh, my opponent is a sitting judge and her name is Emily Spear. And when I was still considering whether or not it made sense for me to run in an election cycle and was thinking that election cycles seem like uh, a very hard time to run that I, that I might prefer to try to uh, apply to become a judge instead rather than this process that requires uh, self-promotion and fundraising and, you know, this entire process. While I was considering that, I, I saw this admonishment come out in September of last year, and I thought, wow, this, this doesn't seem like a person who really respects the level of trust that the community has placed in her. 
And I was kind of looking around and seeing if anyone else was, was going to challenge her. I uh, had spoken to a few people about <laughs> trying to encourage someone to challenge her. Uh, and then it came to be the last day to file to run, and no one had. And I saw the people that I knew were interested in running for judge had already filed for their respective seats. So I, I drove myself down to Norwalk on, on the last day to file. Wow. And, uh, yeah, that we, we're not going to spend your time talking about that, but you can Google it and find out about what exactly she was admonished for. Um, you have a lot of endorsements. You've been endorsed by uh, the L.A. Times, the Metropolitan News, and the L.A. Progressive, which is interesting to me because L.A. Progressive, well, it's in the name, um, the, the Metropolitan News tends to be pretty conservative uh, in in my uh, my experience looking at where they go for judges uh, Pacific Palisades Democratic Club a uh, bunch of other Democratic clubs Maxine waters Susan Burton even uh, Greg Akili um, you have a, a quite a and a number of judges sitting judges that are endorsing you talk to me about that sort of range and uh, <laughs> interesting eclectic <laughs> collection of endorsements that you have yeah. Um, so the, the judges part of it is interesting because that's, uh, that's sort of part of challenging a sitting judge. One of the challenges is that, uh, most judges will not endorse you, uh, because they, they just don't want to be perceived as going against someone who's kind of their colleague. And it doesn't really have anything to do with whether or not they think you're a better candidate or not. I've, I've sort of heard quietly from some judges that they, uh, that they would, like me to win, but that publicly endorsing me is just politically sort of um, disadvantageous. Uh, but I, I have gotten a diverse group of endorsers, and I think that's because uh, ethics, work ethic is not a partisan issue. I've sort of demonstrated through my work that I care about the law, that I care about getting it right, uh, that I don't stop until I get to the right answer. And when I'm, I'm that thorough on those issues, people people see it and they recognize it. Uh, Metropolitan Enterprise News was actually my first endorser. I met with them within a week of filing. Well, okay, so um, you you are obviously coming from the public defender side of uh, of the law, and it seems like we've had a kind of a trend of. Um, public defenders running for the bench. Uh, you, one, notably, La Defensa has been, you know, organizing uh, around that, but others as well. Is there, you know, for people that are concerned about law and order who think, well, public defenders are just going to let everybody out, they're going to be soft on crime, what would you say to those folks? So I would say that it's not really about, about being soft on crime, it's about being smart on crime. And what we've seen is that the approaches of making jail and prison the default, uh, making that the mandatory minimum, making that something that people have to sort of earn their way out of, hasn't really been working. What we know is that it sets people back, even if they don't actually spend a long time in prison, just being locked up at all can cause people to lose their jobs. If they're a single parent, it can cause them to lose their families. It can cause them to lose their housing. And all that lack of stability doesn't put them in any kind of better place to stay out of whatever behavior it was that motivated this problem in the first place, if they're even guilty. And that's part of the problem, too, is that we're, we're presuming that people are guilty when we're locking them up pre-trial. 
So as sort of a starting point, I think we need to respect those due process rights uh, and the Constitution and the presumption of innocence. But also, if we're looking to actually fix the crime problem, you have to look at the underlying causes. We also know that when we lock up people for longer and longer periods of time, they become more dangerous. And it's sort of a bizarre thing that both sides cite to. And people that want longer sentences will point at it and say, well, look, this person's already been to prison, and we know that makes them statistically more dangerous. Therefore, let's put them in prison for longer, which really just feels like throwing good money after bad. And if you're on the more reform side, then you look at that and say, okay, well, we've put this person in prison, and we've never addressed the fact that they have schizophrenia. Perhaps we should try to address the fact that they have schizophrenia and see if we can't give them some treatment. Yeah, well, I mean, we, we're in an era, I think, where we're looking at, you know, care first and different models of how we want to shape our justice system. Um, and But at the same time, we're in a period where people are really scared, seem to be really scared or whipped up into a frenzy about crime um, and public safety. What, what, how do judges impact or how could you as a judge impact public safety? So judges are really working on a on a micro level, right? Like we're not going to be able to have a large impact individually on those issues. But in individual cases, we can be very impactful. So I see that, for instance, you know, I, I had a case where a client had a serious substance abuse problem. He was deaf and hard of hearing. And his substance abuse issue was so severe that his mom had gotten a restraining order against him. But he had nowhere else to go. So he'd show up there periodically. Sometimes she'd allow it. Sometimes she'd disallow it because he was acting up. And then she called the police and he'd get arrested. And each time she'd say, I just want him to get clean. I just want him to get treatment. And there didn't seem to be any option for that because they just treated it as, well, this is a restraining order violation. So we're going to treat this as domestic violence because it's a restraining order violation with your mom. And so our answer is going to be jail and domestic violence classes. And that's really not what he needed. And when we eventually got him into a substance abuse program, uh, it was in San Diego because that's where they have a substance abuse program for people that are deaf and hard of hearing. He actually did quite well there. He wasn't perfect. People who have substance abuse problems often do relapse, but he did much better over the course of a couple of years while he was under supervision and under diversion than he had for the previous few years when he was continuously getting these cases. And I think that sort of demonstrates that you can have a better model, one that is less expensive to the system and that is kinder to the individuals involved and that brings about more satisfaction and public safety for the victims involved. Um, Kim, Rebecca, when you, uh, you, you know, we, we hear a lot about judicial temperament and I see on your website, your rugby picture is pretty amazing, kind of intense. Obviously you take your rugby, you know, quite seriously. How does being a woman, how does being a public defender, how does being a rugby enthusiast, how will it shape your judicial temperament? Well, uh, you need to stay with a cool head in rugby. In fact, that's a blue head is uh, something that my team says a lot on the field when people feel like worked up, like, oh, that other team, like they just threw a punch at you. <laughs> like, what are you going to do? Keep a blue head, keep calm. And 
that's also sort of been the case as a public defender. People accuse you of misconduct because their case isn't going well. Uh, it happens more often than you think. And you just sort of have to stay calm and address the thing that's directly in front of you. Okay. Yeah, that was upsetting. That was, uh, that was distracting. Let's focus on what's the actual thing that we have to accomplish here. What's the actual thing that has to get done? What's the question in front of me as a public defender or as a jurist? What's the issue that I need to solve as a rugby player? All of that. Uh, I, I respond pretty well to high stress situations and I don't, I don't blow up at people when I am frustrated is the main point. <laughs> Those are, yeah. Well, you know, we learn a lot through sport. Um, and, and what do you, what would you like to accomplish or what do you think you can bring that's lacking? Um, or maybe it isn't lacking, but we just need more of it. Right. I do think that there's some of it. I've, I've been, I've been lucky enough to actually be in front of a number of judges that do, that do follow the law on this. But what I see is a lot of resistance to following the laws that we currently have in place. You know, there's uh, the case law of Humphreys that basically says that you don't lock people up just for being poor. Obviously, you can lock people up for actual public safety issues, but you do not lock them up just for being poor. And <clears throat> there's still judges that without taking pretty much any consideration into this, will just look at the bail schedule and say, okay, we're setting this at $100,000. We're setting this at $200,000 because that's what the schedule calls for based on this person's current charge. And that's not the analysis anymore. The analysis has to be about actual public safety issues. Is there some way that we can keep the public safe, maybe through house arrest, maybe through a uh, supervised release program, maybe through a drug treatment program or mental health program or stay away orders. There's other things you can do that are not keeping a person in jail if you do have public safety concerns. And the other concern is whether or not they'll fail to appear at court. So you can take that into consideration as well. But you just don't see judges actually doing that analysis in a lot of cases. Instead, they say, this is a serious charge. Schedule says this. I'm going to set the bail at schedule. Or in mental health diversion cases, the cases have been pretty clear that the fact that a case is a serious one is not disqualifying. Certain cases are disqualified, serious enough ones, ones that are, for instance, sex registration cases, murder. Uh, there are serious cases that are excluded. But for instance, saying uh, that it's a assault with a deadly weapon case, that does not exclude something from consideration for mental health diversion. And the fact that it is that charge does not make someone ineligible for mental health diversion. And yet you will see judges that exclude people from getting mental health treatment. And I had judges say no to mental health treatment for clients that had minimal to no records before and were facing misdemeanor charges. I think the law has actually even changed since I've had those motions denied to make it even more clear that those motions should not have been denied. And what I see is this this trend where judges make these denials and then the law will change even further to say, no, that wasn't right. That, wow. that was not us. <laughs> Got a minute here. Um, what do you want to leave us with? Your why should we vote for Kim Rebecca, your website, all that good stuff. Okay, so my website is Kim Rebecca for judge.com. My Instagram is also Kim Rebecca for judge. So please follow me on there. I do uh, update fairly frequently and have a lot of information there. 
And the reason why people should vote for me is because I have a track record of hard work, of honesty, of empathy, and of trying to help the community as a whole. The way that my representation of children really informed the way that I moved forward in the rest of my career was that I've, I've been looking for the solutions all along. And when I represented children, it was the solution to how can I keep my client with their parent, who they almost always want to stay with, and do that safely. And then when I represented parents, I had sort of the same question to answer, but from a different perspective. And now when I represent criminal defendants, I'm looking for what is going to make the community safe because, because I need a judge to agree to it. And because I've had that perspective, I think that I'm already very well equipped to get to the right answer. And instead of having to convince prosecutors and judges to do the right thing with some success, I'd like to have the opportunity to just get on the bench and, and do the right thing. Great. Kim Rebecca, four judges, forjudge.com. Thank you so much for being with us today. News, traffic, and sports. And then you'll meet another judicial candidate on KBLA Talk 1580. The station you turn to when you've had it up to here with cultural incompetence. KBLA Talk 1580. 1580.